Good morning. So um, my name is Jay Hill, and I've been coming here um, since October of 2016. And um, I have two children, um, Jacob, who's 30, and he has two children, um, Lily, nine, and Landon, three. And then I have my daughter, who's sitting over there, Amber. I'll leave your age out of it. And, <laughs> and so I'm just going to... Um, share a little bit about myself and about this season that's so important to me. And many of you might not know, um, <clears throat> excuse me, I was raised a Jehovah's Witness. And, um, excuse me, I have a cold, I'm sorry. Um, I don't know if everybody knows about the belief systems and the hierarchy and all that, that goes, so I'll explain that to you a little bit. So it's basically a pyramid, and on the top is the governing body. And they say that they are... Um, the faithful and discreet slave that is mentioned in Matthew. And so they oversee all the congregations. And um, then they're underneath them are the branch committees, and they decide what all the um, talks will be about, and they do all the publishing and all that stuff. And under them are district overseers. And they um, basically just appoint and watch over the circuit overseers. And circuit overseers are like, like bishops, and they watch over all the elders and appoint all the elders. And the elders are um, would be like pastors. And they're in, the, um, in each of the kingdom halls. And basically what they do is give the talks and um, dole out punishment, because they like that a lot. <laughs> and um, under them are ministerial servants. And they're just like people who are trying to be um, elders, and so they hold the little mics on um, Sundays because um, you have a public talk, and then after the public talk, you um, study the watchtower, and it's a question and answer thing, and um, so they run up, and they give you all the uh, mics so you can give out the answers, um, and they don't believe in the Trinity, and they believe that um, Jesus was actually a... Um, angel named Michael, and then God sent him down. So, <clears throat> excuse me, um, they don't spend a lot of time in the New Testament, not big fans of Jesus, um, and really, really enjoy the Old Testament. And um, well, other than Revelation and a few scriptures, um, they just don't have anything to do with that. So now that I've you know, been coming here and getting to enjoy the New Testament, um, I've been reading it a lot, and I'd like to share um, one scripture with you today, and it's Luke 2, 8 through 20. Um, sorry, this cold is really bad. So I'll read that to you now. Um, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angel had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. 
When they had seen, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. And that sounds to me like Jesus is a big deal and not like what they said, just an angel. I mean, why would the angels be so excited about another angel, you know? So um, I'm going to share with you why it's a big deal to me personally. And I um, debated about telling this portion of my story because even though it happened 26 years ago, it's still kind of an open wound for me. But it's also an example of God's love and many gifts, and Christmas is about gifts. Um, I was actually um, asked to leave the witnesses um, in what they call a disfellowshipping, and they tell you to go um, because I couldn't follow their rules. <laughs> they have a lot of rules. Seriously, it's, it's like swimming upstream through cold peanut butter. <laughs> you know? um, so on this particular day, um, I was not having a good day, and I had put my kids down for their nap and had tried to call my ex-husband only to find out he wasn't where he was supposed to be again. Um, so I was on the phone finding out he wasn't there. And as I was on the phone, I was looking, and there was a... Um, bottle of his muscle relaxers in front of me, and I swallowed the whole bottle. I just wanted peace and quiet. And since witnesses don't believe in heaven or hell, there's really no downside. The prize they offer for all your works is endless days of their rules. So anyway, in what could have only been God's intervention, my kids woke up and came out, and I realized I was about to leave my kids in the control of a man who was morally bankrupt. I grabbed the phone and called one of my friends from the Kingdom Hall, and she rushed over and called an ambulance. I got to the hospital and realized if I told them that it was a suicide attempt, I would be held on a 72-hour hold that would be on my permanent record forever, and everybody would know, and I would be judged on it. So I told them that I was being manipulative. I was like, oh, I just needed some attention from my husband, and you know, blah, 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 blah. And of course, they believe that because, you know, people tend to think women are a little hysterical. So <laughs> I use that to my advantage. Um, and it worked because an hour later, I was home. Um, so um, what I found out after I got home is that while I was sitting in this hospital being forced to drink this disgusting mixture of Ipecac and um, charcoal <laughs> and vomit everywhere, um, the, the woman that I had brought with me had been sitting on the phone calling the elders and telling them what I had done because one of the big things that they loved you to do was tattle. Everybody tattled on each other. Everybody watched what they were doing and you know ran and told the elders so that you could be punished. So quickly they called me and told me that I had to be um, brought in front of a judicial committee. And a judicial committee is three elders sit down and put you in a room and they talk to you and decide your punishment. So I assumed, being that it was a suicide attempt, that they were in there to um, counsel me and help me through this darkest time of my life. I was wrong. <laughs> so um, 
they talked to me, and um, basically they told me I was going to be disfellowshipped, which meant none of my family could speak to me, none of my friends could speak to me. I had two children, um, three and two. I had no support because one of the things they do is you're not allowed to um, talk to anybody who's not a witness. You can't have any other friends, nothing. So they were in that since taking everything away from me, all my support. So I sat there and I was like really upset, but I didn't want to give them the satisfaction of watching me fall apart. So I waited for them to close in prayer. And I was sitting, you know, they sit in a circle and I was sitting there and they looked at me and I looked at them and this went on for a really long time. (laughs) And then finally they said, oh, we don't, you know, pray for you anymore because God has turned his face from you and he no longer loves you. And, um, he will not listen to your prayers anymore. Um, so, uh, excuse me. Um, even though at that time I wasn't a big fan of God's because I thought he was really mean, it was still an unexplainable pain that hit me when he, they told me that God no longer loved me. And... Um, I left, thank you, Um, and I sat out in the car, and I cried, and I cried, because I was crying so hard I couldn't uh, drive, and then I realized how alone I was, because I had nobody to call, because you're not allowed to tell that this has happened to you, and they told me I couldn't talk to God anymore, because he didn't care, so I just had to kind of pull myself up by my bootstraps and keep it pushing. Um, so anyway, I left for a while. I came for the announcement because they announced that you've been disfellowshipped, um, over the, um, you know, pulpit so that everybody can then turn and look at you and avert their eyes and gossip. Um, and then I didn't go back for a long time, but you know, one of the, the lovely things that they tell you and how they got me to, um, go after I had children was that your children are, are listed under you, and if you're not in favor with God, when Armageddon comes, um, buzzards will rip the uh, flesh from your children's bones and eat their eyes. So this is a very motivating sentence as a parent, <laughs> you know? So I went back, and it's terrible. They sit you in the back. You have to come in right before the service, and you have to leave right after, and like nobody talks to you, and you're just a pariah. So I remember on this one particular day, after I had started coming back, um, I had then separated from my husband, and he was taking the kids, and he wasn't very nice to them, and his girlfriend wasn't very nice to them, and his girlfriend had come with him to pick up the kids, and this was the first time they were going. And um, the first thing she said to them was she looked at them and she went, they look just like you. And I knew that that wasn't a compliment. Um, so I got to um, the Kingdom Hall, and I was sitting down. I was very, very sad. And I was, like, literally sobbing. And I guess I was, like, shaking my leg, because I do that when I'm nervous. Um, and one of the ladies came and sat back next to me, because it was really crowded, and there were no other seats. And so I was just sitting there sobbing, stuff falling out my face, and um, shaking my leg. And she leaned over and she tapped my arm and leaned and whispered into my ear, 
stop shaking my leg, you're disturbing me. So, <laughs> so I was like, oh, the compassion. <laughs> um, but eventually I turned in my letter, and um, they made me grovel and beg a lot, and then they reinstated me. And so I started going back, and I was even more miserable than I was before. And I still was like, I'm the same person I was before this started. So how can God love me now? I haven't changed. I don't feel any different. I don't feel, you know, anything at all. And so I just eventually stopped going um, because I just couldn't fit. It just didn't work. And... um, uh, my mother passed away, and I went to her funeral, which was at the Kingdom Hall, and the next day they called me, and they were like, we need you to come in. I go, what do you need me to come in for? Well, you know, you're associating with our people. I go, it was my mother's funeral. I didn't want to be there. <laughs> you know, if you can take it back, that would be good. <laughs> you know. So anyway, they said, well, we need you to come in. I refused to come in, and I got a letter, a certified letter in the mail, saying that they had disfellowshipped me again. You know, this time, no tears, no sadness, just relief. Um, But I still had that feeling that God didn't love me because that's what they told me. Um, So, you know, when God doesn't love you, the only thing that does love you is sin. Sin always takes you in. It always makes room for you. It always accepts you. Um, so for 26 years, that's all I did is just sin until I just got tired of it. <laughs> you know, It just makes you weary after a while, and I just didn't want to do it anymore. And, you know, my life was pretty pointless at that point. I just got up and functioned. I was living. I was just existing, you know. So one day I went and check the mailbox, you know, because we all want some bills on top of our misery. (laughs) And I uh, found a postcard on a forgiveness series from Hope Chapel. And it was, you know, so funny. I was like, hmm, I think I'll go here. So (laughs) I got up, and I uh, went to the first thing, and I was so nervous because one of the things they had told us was that if you went into a different church, you would set on fire. So, so I remember walking in the door, and I came in, and I'm like, okay, you know? And it was really good, because Patty was the greeter, and, you know, I was like, she comes over, and she's like, are you new? And I'm like, yeah, and I set on fire. <laughs> she didn't even blink an eye. She goes, oh, okay, that's good, you know? Would you like me to sit with you? And I'm like, yeah, that would be nice. So, um, you know, and then I waited, because I had a list of deal breakers that were, that I was like, I'll never come back if any of these things happen. And they were like, if anybody like speaks in tongues or starts rolling on the floor, or if any of these pastors come and try to smack me in my head and blow Holy Spirit in my face, I'm out. I then realized that you should not sit up at 2 o'clock and watch the uh, pastors on TV. Not the same thing at all. Um, so it was, you know, really, really a good experience. And I decided to... Um, and keep going. And then I realized that um, <laughs> my life kind of mirrored the Bible. So when I was with the witnesses, it was Old Testament. It was just so many works and so much punishment. And um, 
just not fun, you know, just rules upon rules upon rules upon rules. And I also realized that um, we were Pharisees, you know, that's how we prayed. We were not, we were taught not to ask God for anything because this is what you got. Because of Adam and Eve, this was your lot in life and you just suffered through it. And the more you suffered, the better it was. And if you weren't suffering, they would come and ask you what you were doing wrong that you weren't suffering. Um, and, um, and uh, you know, they would pray at, at the um, public talks and they would be like, you know, thank, just like the Pharisees. Thankfully, we're not like these people and we're the truth and blah, 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 blah. And, you know, I always thought that was strange and, you know, wasn't us saying worldly this and worldly that and these worldly people. I mean, isn't that the same as the Pharisees saying people of the land, you know? So now I've moved from that section to the New Testament where I know that there's grace and mercy and I now know that grace is not a girl's name but an actual thing um, because we were never taught that word. There were just so many things that we weren't taught. And I realized why we stayed out of that section of the Bible because, you know, how would they have explained when Jesus said, it is finished? You know, they wouldn't have been able to. They wouldn't have been able to keep us working. Um, and, you know, I was a little disappointed in, in my coming because I really, after reading the New Testament, you know, I wanted a Paul on the road to Damascus type of, you know, experience like, oh, this is great. Um, but what I got was a, a Peter's, you know, follow me. And I'm like, oh, okay. But um, Peter is my favorite apostle because I feel that I'm more like him, a little, you know, stubborn and brash and impulsive. And those who know me really well could see me whacking off an ear or two. So. <laughs> um, <laughs> But as somebody loving once told me, Peter was also Jesus' rock. And so I am thankful for that. And one of the things that I have learned in the New Testament that I love the most um, is a scripture that I'm going to read to you. And that's Romans 8, 38 and 39. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And that, I think, is the best thing that I have learned. And uh, how amazing is that? And I think sometimes that, uh, we fail to see the wonder of something that you know when you live every day. So let me just tell you, Jesus is awesome. Um, he left 99 sheep on a hill to come and get me. And I'm not like a 4-H wonderful sheep. I'm just a smelly, bleeding sheep. <laughs> and I didn't even want to come. And he pulled me along. And I think that's just a testament to the fact that Jesus' love is always stronger than our willful stubbornness and always will be. And he brought me, even though I was going to stumble and fall, and believe me, I'm really clumsy, and he keeps picking me up and he keeps moving me forward. So 
time. I'd like to read to you Luke 2, 8 through 20 again. And ask you after I read it to do two things that I will tell you. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. All right. So the first thing I would like you to do of the two things I'm going to ask is tomorrow. When you come in, I want you to look around and realize that hope is a place of hope. You might not want to go to a vacation with all the people you're sitting next to, but we are the family of God. (laughs) And as a family, we will get on each other's nerves, but we also have a lot of love for each other. And I want you all to appreciate that nobody that you're sitting next to is ever going to whisper in your ear and tell you to stop shaking your leg. It's disturbing them when you are crying. So whoever you're sitting next to tomorrow, give them a big hug and tell them, thank you for being you. And the other thing I want you to do is find a pastor tomorrow. Any pastor, all the pastors, whatever makes you happy. And thank them for being a man of God and for trying to mirror Jesus' compassion and love for his people and for never trying to put a yoke of oppression on them. Because it's not an easy job. And I've seen and felt what it's like to be under somebody who's misguided and not loving. So if you all could do that, that would be awesome. Now, the second thing I want you all to do is go out like the shepherds and just put all of Jesus' business in the street. I want you to tell people everything he's done, everything he's going to do. And I know this is easy, isn't easy, because I'm a professional door knocker. I mean, this is what we did. We would come up there, bang on those doors, and talk. And let me let you in on a secret sometimes. We would pretend to knock, and we really didn't. (laughs) And then they always sent an elder with us, and we would go, oh, they're HBH, which stands for home but hiding. (laughs) And then we would walk away. So I know. I know it's not an easy thing to do. But I mean, just think somewhere there could be somebody like me who's just waiting for just that one little thing to spark their faith. And they could you know, be on their last legs, and this could be it. 
And so what I've found, because of the professional door knocking and it being so scary, I've found that telling a story helps so that you're not being weird. You know? So I'm going to give you a story to tell them. You know, you're standing in line, you're waiting, and you can just come up to them and go, hey, there's this woman at my church who thought Advent was the little chocolates that went in the calendar and just found out a couple of weeks ago that it's a thing. Strike up a conversation about that. And I promise you, one of two things will happen. Either it'll take, and the Holy Spirit will move it, or they'll think you're weird, and they'll get out of line, and you'll get through your shopping faster. So it's a win-win situation. Um, So I want to thank you for coming to Contagious Christmas and for listening to my story. Okay, that's it. I'm done. <laughs> <Thanks>. <laughs>